again, years ago, you went in, they swabbed your throat, they sent a culture to the lab, and about three, four days, about three days later, they would get the results. Um, now you can have results in literally in minutes, five minutes. Uh, and the uh, false positive rate is pretty low. Uh, generally, even before, when they had to send it to the lab, they would put people on antibiotics because strep throat is a particularly dangerous uh, disorder, or can be. Not always, but yes. Yes. Yeah. The nurse on the floor would have a kit uh, that they would use, and they would get a color readout, and that's that's it. <clears throat> so uh, they're when using uh, chromatography. This means color changes, chrome colors. Uh, <clears throat> really quickly, they're very easy to read. Basically, the antigen solution goes through a little porous strip, and it counters the antibodies, and then. Uh, a visible line occurs where the two have met, which is basically what pregnancy testing does. Okay, it's the same basic process, not really any different. Uh, and so this is uh, basically what's going on. Uh, antibodies are fixed right here in a line. You dip this in your thing, the liquid comes up, interacts with the antibodies here, and then you get a uh, color change or a line appears and that tells you that the individual has that antigen. And that was where we were going to stop with serology. Uh, I did not put any questions on serology on the exam. Uh, they won't be on the final. We have enough other stuff. It's not like there's a shortage of topics here. But it's useful to know a little bit about serology. All right, so now we're going to move on to infectious diseases. That's essentially what we're going to spend the rest of the semester on. Uh, and it's going to seem like a tremendous amount of data. So here's how I would suggest you break it down. You break it down into the name of the organism, the name of the disease, and very um, uh, not detailed symptoms. Basically, what are the ba very basic symptoms? So that if I gave you a description of the symptoms, you could match it, because you know, it's going to be a matching exam primarily. And so if I gave you a description of what the disease was, what kind of things happened, you could match it to the appropriate organism. Um, you know, that's kind of, kind of how the, 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 they work. Uh, or I may just give you the, uh, uh, the organisms, and then you have to match them to the symptoms. I mean, you could go either way, depending on the question. Uh, but so what you want to do is know the name of the organism, Know the basic symptoms it causes, okay? And know the name of the disease or the disorder. We're not going to get into tremendous detail on this. There's just too, way too many of them. You go into nursing courses, those of you who are going into nursing, you're going to get more of this than you ever wanted to hear about. Okay, so we're going to look at the skin uh, first, and that includes the eyes. I'm not going to bother describing that. Uh, we had a little bit about that under immunity. You've already had it in, uh, in A and P. Uh, you know what the integument is. You know that it has layers. This you should be able to label in your sleep just about. Well, maybe not that well, but you should be able to label that. Um, and here are the defenses. Okay, we're interested in the things that avoid the defenses, so we're not going to go into those. Normal biota have to live in dry, salty conditions. They tend to grow in moist areas, which is where the skin is either folded or um, in the hair follicles, in the ducts around the glands. Uh, that's usually where they're going to be found. And these are the three main categories. There are some diphtheroids. Now, diphtheria is, is in this group, however, it's not a resident. There are other organisms. Uh, Micrococci and yeasts. These are, you know, so some fungi, some bacteria, pretty much common uh, uh, skin residents. Uh, the diphtheroids, uh, propionobacterium acnes is the most common one. It's what causes acne, as you might guess, or it's one of is involved in acne. Uh, and uh, they also break down components of sweat, which is what leads to the to odor, body odor. Uh, Staphylococci, pretty salt tolerant. Uh, generally, a virulent uh, staph epidermidis is the most common one. We've been using that in the lab. Uh, it uh, 
basically keeps other organisms from colonizing this campus. And then on the yeast, uh, these are very small, uh, lip, what they call lipophilic. Now, lipo means lipids, fats. Okay, so they're probably going to be found around the, the, the uh, sebum is secreted because that's a liquid compound. Occasionally, they can find cause some dandruff or some minor things, but usually they're not a problem. Okay, so let's look at skin diseases caused by microorganisms, and the first one we'll talk about is one of the most common. Uh, not everybody, not everybody gets acne. There are people who have managed to escape their entire life without really having acne, and then there are others who really have a, a problem with it. So, the, uh, acne is a follicle-associated lesion, okay? It's in the hair follicle, okay? So, this, the skin uh, is going to, uh, let's see, we, have, we don't have a diagram, but uh, the, uh, especially during uh, adolescence, you tend to get an enlargement of the sebaceous glands, you get more sebum produced, it tends to clog up the, uh, the pores of the hair, fo the hair follicle. Um, you get a lot of extra keratinization. And then what will happen is uh, the, the organism here, Propionobacterium acne, uh, releases lipases because sebum is a lipid. It's digesting that. Uh, this uh, results in a local inflammation. And it can burst the follicle if it goes on too long often does not do that. So basically, uh, this is when the, uh, the skin swells over the pore. Uh, if it's closed, there's a whitehead. When it's open, but you can see the sebum, we call that blackhead. Uh, again, some of you have had to deal with this. If you have children, you will probably have to deal with it again. Uh, this is one of the things. And then, sometimes the lesion will erupt on the surface. That is called a pustule. And occasionally, it may actually spread in some of the underlying tissue, and then you get into serious uh, events. Uh, so this is basically what happens in acne. Acne uh, is, we've had some videos on this in the past, which it's a video we don't use anymore. Uh, it is basically not a, a matter of uh, staying clean. Uh, that doesn't really help a whole lot. So it, it's not like somebody who has acne is never washing or anything like that. Uh, washing doesn't hurt any, may help a little bit, but acne simply has to do with an overproduction of sebum and uh, blocks up the pores, and then you get an, you get an inflammation in the pores. Yeah, like I said, some people really don't have much trouble with it. Other people have a lot of trouble with it. So each of these sections has a little uh, checkpoint here. Um, and so propionobacterium acnes, um, you don't need to know all of these things, but basically um, uh, treatment is antibiotics. Um, name of the disease is acne. This is the organism that causes it. You know what the symptoms basically are. Uh, inflamed uh, hair follicles, which may erupt or not, depending on the individual. Okay, now we have another type of hair follicle infection. Try to group these a little bit. It's called folliculitis. Um, you get a small bump uh, at the uh, follicle. Uh, it, can it can spread to adjacent follicles. Uh, you get redness, swelling, uh, some, some uh, very definite te uh, tenderness. Occasionally you may get little lesions, like blistering type lesions. Um, it, uh, and they're called, when that happens, they're called a furuncle. I love all these terms in this stuff. Yeah. Um, if uh, it becomes, so they, they basically get a redness, swelling, tenderness. If pus usually drains from it, uh, and along with the, the plug that was blocking it up. Uh, if you get a whole bunch of them in the same place, that's called a carbuncle. And I don't know, again, if anybody's had to deal with that. Uh, it tends to happen more on the back of the neck than almost anywhere else. It usually happens where the skin is thicker. Uh, they can be pretty nasty. They are going to require, uh, usually are going to require a visit to the doctor because they're going to have to drain it, get the bus out of it. Uh, and basically, so they're going to essentially lance it. They're going to cut it open, basically, drain out the pus, try to get as much of that out as they can. Yeah. Is it possible that happens on the back? Yeah, it's, it's possible, yeah. It was most common on the back of the neck, but they can occur other places. Yeah. So it's like a small 
Yeah, it's, it's yeah, multiple follicles involved. Your question. Well, assist is a very generic term. Okay, uh, carbuncle is a very specific term used for when you have multiple hair follicles involved in folliculitis. So it's like carbuncle is always assist, assist is always carbuncle. I've never really heard it called assist. So they're entirely different things. Yes. Yeah. Cysts are usually clear fluid. They're usually not infected. Okay. Now, the cause of this um, is there's one that you're going to see over and over in the skin is Staph aureus. Staph aureus is around. Um, it's, uh, it's always present in almost everybody, but usually in very small numbers. And usually it's not a problem in, unless it gets an opportunity. Um, it's pathogenic uh, because you get inflammation down in the follicle. Um, you get some dead some cells, uh, dead tissue. It may spread into subcutaneous tissue. And it needs to be taken care of because the infection can, once it starts to spread into lower tissue, it can spread to other parts of the body. So it needs to be taken care of. Um, almost everybody has it. Well, I'm not going to say everybody. 20% uh, carry it continuously, 60% are colonized at some point during any given year. Uh, transmission is usually on your hands, it mostly lives in the nose, in the nasal areas. Uh, you know, it's just one of those organisms that we have all the time. Alright, so prevention uh, and treatment, uh, surgical draining is part of the normal uh, uh, treatment. Uh, and staphylococcal creams and soaps can uh, decrease it. Uh, it's complicated because the, most of the Staph aureus strains are resistant to penicillin, and that makes them different. You, know, you have to go to more uh, uh, heavy-duty antibiotics. So uh, that's folliculitis. Uh, okay, either a furuncle or a carbuncle, depending on the size. Staph aureus swelling, inflammation down in the follicles. That's basically what's, what's going on. If there's one follicle, it's a furuncle. If there's multiple follicles, it's a carbuncle. Okay. Impetigo. Um, this is a uh, superficial bacterial infection, highly contagious, mostly seen in children. Um, and in fact, uh, generally, if children come down with this, they're not allowed back in school until it's been cured because it can be transmitted to others really easily. Uh, so it could be Staph aureus or it could be Strep pyogenes. Now, Strep pyogenes is the one that causes strep throat. Either of these can be involved in impetigo. And basically, the skin starts to peel. It gets crusty, uh, kind of honey-colored, kind of yellowish you know, coloration, uh, usually mostly around the mouth and the face. Uh, can be in the extremities, and it itches a lot, Okay, which, of course, makes for children, especially that if it itches, they're going to scratch it, and then they got it on their hands, and then they're going to spread it all over them. This is what it can look like. Uh, it's not overly painful, it's more itchy, and uh, it's, you know, it's not something, again, you see a lot, but it's not, a, this is certainly more common than some of the others. Um, you can distinguish between the two organisms by uh, plating them on uh, blood auger. If it's Staph aureus, you'll see clear areas around where they're, where they're growing, where the blood has been broken down. If it's pyogenes, you won't see that. And that's one of the ways that they determine which one it is. Okay. So, impetigo, direct contact, Staph aureus, Staph pyogenes. Um, basically, it's diagnosed by looking at it. Uh, they probably would culture it. Um, and basically, it's treated with uh, antibiotics. Now, uh, aureus is usually uh, more often in older children, as it says on here, strep pyogenes is more often in infants. Uh, generally, you find this in younger children, which is not very common in adults. Cellulitis, another skin infection. Now, this is a, an infection that's down in the subcutaneous tissues. So not, not up on the surface anymore, but down into the subcutaneous tissue. It's very painful. It, you get swelling because you get inflammation. Um, and lymph nodes usually are inflamed. And uh, it can be caused, but mostly again, 
Okay, there we see him again, Stab Aureus, once again, uh, struck by Agenes. Uh, the problem with this one is, particularly with Aureus, is it secretes an exfoliant and a coagulase uh, along with other enzymes. And what this does is it tends to break down the connections between cells, and then, that's, and then it spreads through the tissue that way. Uh, antibiotics, uh, either oral or IV, depending on, and occasionally it can be so bad that surgery is required. Um, Streptopyogenes is very similar. Ialuronidase is an enzyme that breaks down, again, uh, connections between cells. And um, so that's, now, there are occasionally, it can be called by other organisms, uh, but that's not something that's common in healthy individuals. Usually more common in somebody who's uh, in some way immune compromised. Scalded skin syndrome, another uh, Staph aureus caused skin. Uh, so Staph aureus is just really more common than you would like it to be. Now, this is not MRSA. That's another issue. That's uh, Staph aureus that is resistant to methicillin. These are not all like that. Uh, again, this is uh, mostly seen in, in newborns and babies. It's, uh, uh, it's very similar to impetigo in some respects, but the, the uh, common thing is desquamation of the skin. And what that means Epidermal tissue is sloughed off, uh, and it looks uh, pretty bad. Uh, this is what it looks like, and here in the, the image, you can see epidermal tissue being sloughed off the, tissue, the, the dermal tissue underneath, and that's a result of the bacteria getting down in this area and releasing these enzymes, which cause that to occur. Um, it's pretty pretty bad. It's treatable. Uh, again, treated with uh, systemic antibiotics usually. Um, the split in the skin is with is actually right at the base of the epidermis. Okay? Uh, so ba basically, uh, these organisms, Staph aureus, is the most common. Uh, it makes some of these exfoliative toxins, which is what makes it makes it peel off. You can look at histological sections and so on. Okay. Questions so far? Okay. All right. This is put with the skin because that's usually where it's found. Uh, it's not the only place it can be found. And so when you're doing it by system, sometimes you have to place an organism with a system where it's most commonly found, even though it may occasionally be found elsewhere. This is caused by uh, Clostridium perfringens. Uh, there are two basic types. Normally what you have is an anaerobic infection, but occasionally you get actual infections of muscle, uh, muscle tissue. Uh, this is again what it what it will do. Uh, generally speaking, uh, perfringens does not grow in the presence of oxygen. Now, so for instance, if this was the result of uh, frostbite, this would be a common sort of result. Frostbite. Uh, if that tissue does not start to, to repair right away, they will remove it because you don't want to give the organism a place to live where there's no blood supply. You. So when somebody has this, you have to remove uh, tissues that are dead, leave behind the living tissue, and that will really slow it way down because it does not do well in the presence of oxygen. It, in the process of its metabolism, it actually produces some gases, which is why it's called gas uh, So mostly Clostridium, it's a soil bacterium. Uh, gas formation. What you do is you clean the wound, you get rid of the dead tissue. Um, penicillin and clindamycin seem to generally work. Oxygen therapy, that's sometimes done. Sometimes uh, there's been some experimental work done with putting people in uh, hyperbaric chambers where the oxygen level and the pressure are higher and uh, the organism really doesn't do well in those conditions. So that, that sometimes can, can be used. Uh, and of course it can always be surgically removed. Which, and essentially when you're debriding the tissue, you're in essence surgically removing dead tissue. Okay. Uh, gas gangrene probably in the Civil War uh, probably caused as many deaths as the, the actual battles. They get wounds, wounds that get infected, they get gas gangrene, uh, and they die of blood poisoning. Become a systemic infection and blood poisoning. Now, so 
one of the standard methods then to prevent that or attempt to prevent that was to simply when, when they came in with this you know with the wound that has really dirty had a lot of stuff in it just cut off the leg if it's leg or arm whatever just cut the limb off okay and then and then seal the end usually with uh, sometimes with pitch hot pitch uh, sometimes with a hot iron uh, which would kill of course bacteria in there uh, and then you hope the individual recovered. Didn't have many other options back then. Okay, I remember when they had the uh, the tidal wave in Indonesia. That's been a few years ago now. You may remember that. It was a pretty large one. And I remember reading in that that some doctors in some areas of the island who were unable to get medical supplies for days, days. When you're in that water and you're banging into things, you're going to get wounds, and that water is a mixture of everything that's out there. Uh, that they resorted to amputations to save people's lives in that, because they had no, they had nothing else they could do. Okay, so those are the, uh, so some follicular and skin diseases. Now we're going to look at pustular rashes, vesicular and pustular rashes. Okay. Um, the lesion itself is called a pox, and hence we have chicken pox and smallpox. Those are the two primary. Cowpox people can get, but it's usually not very serious. Actually, chicken pox is normally not all that serious for in children. Uh, but, so we're going to be looking at that type of rash. Okay, so chicken pox. Uh, again, most of you didn't have it. Uh, it's usually pretty mild disease in children. Um, you get a fever, they get a rash, it starts on the scalp, face, down, down over the trunk. Uh, the lesions form what are called macules, are kind of flat little lesions and papules. They, they get clear fluid in them, they itch like crazy, um, which is one of the real problems. Uh, people, kids scratch at them and they'll pull those off and they'll get scarring uh, because of that. I mean, not big scars, it'll be small scars, but still scarring. Um, and then after a few days, it, uh, it dries up and the crust falls off and it's over. Didn't usually last very long. Uh, those who had more of the rash would obviously be more uncomfortable. And, and the amount of rash that an individual had was you know, not really overly predictable for that individual. Now, the organism that causes chicken pox, uh, it's, I probably have a thing later on, is uh, a virus. And it, when it goes away, it doesn't really go away, okay? These organisms will travel up the motor neurons from the skin areas, and they'll and, and they'll get into the uh, uh, ganglia, the spinal ganglia, and inside the central nervous system, the immune system is pretty much excluded, and they can stay stay in there forever. In fact, they will. Now, when something occurs and nobody really knows what it is that occurs, that makes them. Some of them leave the, the ganglia and they migrate down the, the motor nerve. Uh, and when they reach the skin, you will get blistering. Okay? And that's called shingles. Okay, so this is pretty typical chicken pox. You see that the, these little nodules, they're pretty flat. They're not big, you know, tall things. Uh, and, and they're not, a, uh, they're just annoying more than anything else for, for young children. Usually they don't feel sick at all, just itch. And that, that's pretty much it. Now, this is what shingles will look like. Uh, it's usually restricted to a particular, remember myotomes from uh, uh, anatomy, which, you know, the various bands where the different spinal nerves were innervating. Generally, whichever spinal nerve it migrates down, that myotome will be, in, be uh, infected, but not the ones above or below, because it's traveled through the nerve, and that nerve didn't go to the other, the above and below. This is very painful. Um, it's not life-threatening, but it can last last for a couple of weeks. Okay, now the other pustular disease is smallpox. Uh, no more naturally occurring smallpox. It's been, as far as we know, eradicated. There haven't been any reported cases for a very long time now. This is a successful vaccination uh, worldwide. The only smallpox that still exists that we know about 
is at the CDC, and there's a similar facility in Russia that has smallpox organism, the virus. Um, who else might have gotten a hold of it? We have absolutely no way of knowing. But since it's no longer naturally occurring, they have stopped the vaccinating for it because the vaccination carried a certain level of risk itself. It was a live vaccine, and now it could be spread to other individuals, and so they decided it was safer to simply not vaccinate. Uh, could become a problem in the future. So you, initially you get a macular rash, that flat rash like we saw with chickenpox, and then it turns it, uh, to a vesicular and pustular and then cr uh, uh, crossover. Two forms of it, variola minor, is, as you might guess, uh, a less virulent disease. Most many people survive that. Variola major, very virulent, uh, fatality rate was very high. This is what it looks like on the skin. It's really, uh, and of course, again, like the other one, if you scratch at it, you're going to get scarring. That's not uncommon. So, chickenpox is uh, varicella zoster virus, or probably more appropriately, it's human herpes virus 3. It is a form of herpes virus. That's why it behaves in much the same way as herpes does. Okay. Um, you get in, it's in contact uh, by aerosolized, you know, uh, from a lesion. Uh, it uh, usually is obvious. There is a, a, a live attenuated vaccine, and there's also a vaccine for shingles. Okay, most kids are vaccinated against chickenpox today. As you get older, you, it's something that you consider whether shingles is something you want to do. There's really no fever. Uh, you know, so kids feel, kids feel just fine. They don't really feel like there's anything wrong, which is always a problem when they're sick, you know, when they have a disease, but they don't feel sick. You know, how do you keep them quiet? The reality is you, you can't, uh, depending on their age. Right, so that's chickenpox. Uh, since it's a virus, there's not really any particular treatment for it, except uh, taking care of the individual. Okay, smallpox, the variola virus. Uh, it uh, actually seems to be able to avoid immune response pretty well. There is a live virus vaccine, uh, and that's the one that's not given anymore. Some of the military were still being given it, who were going over to the Middle East, uh, where there was maybe some possibility of running into smallpox. Uh, in this one, you get a fever ahead of time. The lesions are quite deep. Uh, you get more of them on the extremities than you do on, on the body. Smallpox was a major uh, killer of individuals at one time. Um, today, of course, since it's been basically eradicated, it's not such a problem. Uh, unless it should happen to somehow to come back. Yeah? When was it eliminated initially? When was it eliminated? Uh, I'd have to look that up. It's been quite a few years now. Did it happen in the 90s or like the 2000s? What? Did it happen in the 2000s or like late 90s? Uh, I don't honestly know. I'd have to look it up. It's been a long time. Because I was in. Um, when I was getting out of the military, uh, I had had a vaccination when I went in the military because that was required then. Now, as, as I was getting out, there about that time, I was, it was time for me to get revaccinated. And they said, we don't need to do that anymore. That was in 93. Any of that from 1980s? And of course, they're watching for it to see if it shows up again. Uh, just like polio, the places that were hardest to eradicate it were Pakistan, Afghanistan. India, those, that part of the world, uh, and a lot of that had to do with resistance to being vaccinated, uh, which is still a problem today with polio. Okay. So these were vesicular pustular rashes. Now we're going to go to maculopopular rashes. Okay. Uh, there are four of them that we mentioned, and to be real honest, uh, fifth disease, I've never seen anybody with or been aware of anyone having it, but it's one of the ones we'll talk about. But first, we'll look at measles. Uh, measles is pretty common. It's starting, it shows up periodically uh, today still uh, in the United States. It probably does in other areas. It's uh, called rubiola. Uh, sore throat, cough, headache, you know, the usual thing is fever. Uh, initial thing that you'll see is inside the mouth, you'll see these spots. The white spots in the back of the mouth called complex spots. That's the, that's usually the, the 
the beginning of it. Uh, they, so they appear white, then they turn red, and then it erupts on the head, and then on down the trunk. Uh, now, there are complications possible with this, which include uh, mostly pneumonia or secondary infections. And so, uh, Lubiola was always considered to be fairly dangerous. Uh, because of that, there was the secondary infections they worried about. Okay, and, uh, and you did get a fever with it. Okay, so that's what it looks like. Here's a little bit of breaking out on the face. Here's some more on the neck and the face, and uh, you can't see it down on the chest, but it would, it would continue on down. Uh, so that's rubiola. Okay, um, often referred to as the three-day measles, I think, at one time. Uh, because that seemed to be normally after about three days you were getting better. Okay. Uh, and then you have rubella. Now rubella called is also called German measles for reasons that I, I have to look up. Sure. Uh, this one is not very dangerous at all. Normally, uh, you get for most people. Let me put it that way. Uh, you get a little bit of a rash. It's a pretty minor. Very few complications. However. There are problems with uh, individuals who are pregnant. Individuals who are pregnant, this is what is called a teratogenetic, teratogenic uh, uh, virus. What it does is it can cause uh, birth defects. And so it's a real, it was always an issue because it transmits from mother through the placenta to the, to the fetus. Um, and the kinds of things that would happen to the fetus would depend on where in the developmental series the infection occurred. If it occurred early on, you would have more severe problems than if it occurred later on in, in the uh, development. Uh, so this is rubella, or the German measles. Again, this is what it looks like. It's very similar to rubiola. Uh, okay, fifth disease. Like I said, I've never, this is one, other than in the textbooks here, I've never even really seen this. You, okay, you run into it. Okay. Uh, erythema infectiosum. It, it it looks like somebody has slapped the the skin. It's just red, red. It spreads across the body, the arms, the trunk. Um, but essentially, the blotches tend to all run together. You get a low-grade fever and malaise. That's a nice way of saying you feel pretty crummy. Uh, and uh, it, it's not generally uh, serious, highly infectious. But a rash lasts a really long time. Good. Yeah, it'll go away. And then come back. They have like cold light symptoms. Whenever they get overheated, fluffs are all over the rash comes back last month. Okay, and then lastly is roseola. It's another children and babies. Uh, starts off with no rash, sometimes have a rash, high fever. Fourth day, the fever disappears, and that's when the rash appears if there's going to be one. Um, and that's pretty much that. Now, we want to mention in this, with this same group, is scarlet fever. The scarlet fever is the result of usually an, a side effect of strep throat. It's streptococcus pyogenes, but it, it leaves the throat area and begins to spread through the body. And it can be very serious. You can end up with heart valve damage uh, from it. And so when it's diagnosed, it's treated pretty aggressively to, get, to stop it. Uh, our, our stepdaughter had it last, last year. Uh, yeah, strep throat. She's, strangely enough, doesn't really seem to respond to the pain in her throat very much, so you don't really know that there's a problem. Uh, and then it got worse quickly after that. And, of course, she does not take pills, which I guess at about 13 years old, a lot of them will not take pills yet. Uh, they're not going to swallow, they don't, can't swallow pills. Uh, at some point later in their life, they will generally learn to do that. And then as you get older, you swallow pills that are about this big. You know, you have to, but uh, at any rate, uh, so these are the uh, macro, maculopapular rashes, measles, or rubiola, rubella, fifth disease, roliola, and scarlet fever. Uh, these are called by the this one by the measles virus, this one by the rubella virus. Uh, they're related. Uh, you know, diseases in terms of their appearance. Uh, there are vaccines. The MMR vaccine is what most people get. Uh, measles, mumps, and I guess most people are yeah. 
Um, so uh, there's not really much you can do. Uh, antivirals are, uh, you know, a possibility if you get secondary infections, you can certainly treat those with uh, antibiotics. Fifth uh, disease, uh, you'll notice there's really not much about it here. Roseola, the same way. These are not. These are only going to be diagnosed by a doctor. You're probably nobody would probably know what's going on other than that. Um, and then lastly, is scarlet fever. And again, the uh, this is a, a major problem. Um, a very severe sore throat. The, the skin starts to feel kind of gritty like. Um, but the real concern is uh, damage to heart valves because apparently some of the antibodies that we make against this can damage the heart valves. It's not understood why that happens entirely, except obviously there's something about one of the antigens in the organism that is very close to the to the ones in the heart valves, and you get damage to those. And it can be significant, or it may be no big deal. So these are skin rashes that are looked at. Uh, now some of these, the first two and the last one are probably the most serious. Uh, at least this one you can treat with, uh, with antibiotics. The rest of them are all uh, viral infections. Uh, fifth disease is the parvovirus, so that's similar to the parvo that your dog can get. Uh, you know, it's a, a relative of that. And you notice it says human herpes virus six or seven. We generally think of only the two kinds of herpes virus, but in reality there are there are multiple. So those are basic bacterial and viral infections that you need to worry about. Now, we also on the skin can get warts, wart-like, well, they call them eruptions, but basically normally benign skin growths, okay? Uh, usually caused by viruses, most often. Uh, there are a number of papillomaviruses that do this. Uh, it says there's more than 80, and who knows what the number is today. Uh, so there's a lot of different viruses that can do this, and basically what they call, cause is uh, extra cell division in skin cells, and you get a wart-like appearance. Okay? Uh, so they're sometimes called papillomas. Uh, tend to affect children more than adults. Uh, it's not uncommon for children to have them on their feet or uh, on, their, on their hands. Uh, you know, they're benign. There's nothing about, you know, they're not... Uh, lethal or anything like that. They're just irritating, okay? Uh, particularly when they're on your hands. I used to get them when I was young, when I was relatively young, and they would always come up on my knuckles. You know, they were horrible because you'd, you'd, you'd hit them and you'd scrape them and they'd bleed, and it was, it was just a miserable place to have them. I haven't had one now sometime. So that's really wood, probably isn't. Okay, so there are seed warts, genital warts, and planter warts, okay? Um, Seed warts are the ones you typically get on your hands, uh, and uh, if you look at them carefully, you can see little dark, little black areas uh, or spots in them. This is where the, where the name seed warts comes from. They're still a viral infection. Genital warts are just a viral infection in the genital area. It's the same thing, same basic thing. And then plantar warts are primarily on the feet, because that's where that term applies to. They may all be caused by the same thing. But they have different needs. Yeah. Can Marky get like a wart on her leg or something? Well, it's up to you what you want to do with it. If it's, uh, if you want to get rid of it, you go to a dermatologist and that'll freeze it off. So what type of thing would be on your leg? Just curious. Be in the papillomavirus. It just happens. Yeah, they're not common on the legs. Usually they're on the hands, feet, more often. But you can, uh, they'll use a little liquid nitrogen and they'll just freeze it off. It's, you'll feel it, but it's not all that deep. Um, it sounds like I'm still on my, my trip and fell on the stairs. Oh, you see, that's. Cut it right off. Well, now there's always the possibility that it may not go back if it got really ripped off entirely. You just don't know. How does the freezing work? Do they freeze it and they just lance it off? Or? No, it just, it, it freezes it and it just falls off. Right then. Yep. <laughs> now, if, if they might have to do it more than one time, depending on how large it is, but uh, 
you know, when they do uh, precancerous lesions on people, face or arms or whatever, it's just a little, you know, it's a little, you know, you can get a little bit of spray, it hits, you feel a little burning sensation. Fine. Of course, it looks for a while kind of bad, but uh, you just deal with that. Uh, they used to uh, treat these with x-rays. Long ago, x-rays were commonly used to treat it. They don't want to use x-rays anymore necessary anymore. It was effective because the x-rays would disrupt DNA and the virus. And, you know, they were fairly effective, but not generally a method of treatment today. Okay, this is, uh, again, something I have never actually run into, molluscum contagiosum. You get very smooth little waxy nodules on the face and trunk. Um, they contain kind of a milky fluid inside, so, you know, and they're mostly in children. Uh, and uh, this is kind of what they look like over here. Okay, uh, so the papillomavirus is by direct contact. Uh, there's a lot of home treatments, compound W and stuff like that. Uh, that works uh, if you have if your patient, it works. Uh, cryosurgery. Uh, the, uh, so that's another way to get rid of it. Of course, when we get to genital, uh, there's uh, a vaccine now for papillomavirus for HPV uh, that is recommended for uh, children starting at about age 11. Between the age 11 and about 15, 16, 21. As long as they're not sexually active, there's no, you know, it doesn't matter too much when it's done. It needs to be done before that occurs. And today, you, boy, you know, you hear stories from the elementary schools. You, you don't, you know, it's amazing what's going on in the elementary schools. So that's why they started at age 11. Or recommend. Okay, then there can be large skin lesions, and we're going to look at two, leishmaniasis and cutaneous anthrax. Uh, leishmaniasis is a zoonosis, it's transmitted by sand flies. Uh, it was pretty much unknown in the United States until the Gulf War. We sent a whole lot of troops over into the desert. People, guys, were getting this. Uh, they had, they, it's treatable, you can get rid of it. Problem is, uh, is there's no immunity to it. You go back out in the field, you can get it again. So you can get it repeatedly, but it's, it is treatable. Um, there are two types. One is cutaneous, which obviously is the skin. The other is a more systemic, which is obviously more dangerous. Uh, and then you have anthrax. Uh, the cutaneous anthrax is the least dangerous. Uh, some of the, the uh, pulmonary anthrax is pretty much uh, not much safer. But the, on the skin, it, it can be treated. So the endospores, remember it's a bacillus, so that means it has endospores. They enter the skin through some kind of cut or abrasion. Uh, and then as the papule grows, the tissue around it dies. And it becomes really dark in color. They call it black. Um, and uh, so this is what it would look like here. This is uh, cutaneous anthrax. We'll talk about the other two types later. Uh, so it's endospore that does this. Um, there are antibiotics. It can be fatal if not treated, but there are antibiotics that are pretty good. Uh, there's a vaccine available, but it, uh, again, only those who are thought to be likely to come into contact are usually vaccinated. So for the leishmaniasis, uh, leishmaniasis yeah. is how would they avoid the sand flies? You can't. Oh. I mean, you really can't. Well, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. Uh, if you're if you're in the military and you're out in the desert, you really can't avoid them. I mean, that's not much you can do. Uh, the, uh, there's a treatment for it. This is what the lesion would look like right here. Okay, this is the cutaneous form right here. Uh, it is lethal if not treated. It will spread and it is lethal if not treated. Uh, probably both of them, although uh, cutaneous anthrax are absolutely less so. Now, the, the sand flies, uh, this is becoming an issue in the United States now a little bit. Uh, sand flies used to be, you didn't run into them until you got in the deserts uh, in North America, until you got down in Mexico. But now they, with a uh, little bit of warming, they have moved north 
and they're into southern Texas now, uh, up to the Bajo of San Antonio, and so this is, becomes, again, more of a problem, and uh, climate change is contributing to that. Uh, the organisms are going to live wherever they can find a place to live, and if it gets warmer, they're going to move north, and they don't care. All they know is the temperature's right, conditions are right. Okay, then we have mycoses, which are fungal diseases. Almost all mycoses are, are uh, caused by a type of organism called a dermatophyte. They only live in non-living tissue of the skin. So you don't find them into the down into the dermis. They're only in the non-living tissue. They all start with the name tinea. There are several different ones. They're all basically the same organism. Uh, and uh, so, ringworm of the scalp, which is tinea capitis, is fairly common in, in, in newborns, uh, or, or young children. Uh, get little scaly patches on, on the scalp. Uh, it destroys hair follicles, and the hair loss could be, can be permanent sometimes. Uh, this is what it would look like. Again, easily treated. That's obviously an, an adult. Uh, then they have tinea barbie, which is ringworm of the beard. Okay, I guess if you don't have a beard, you don't have to worry about this one. Uh, it's also called barber's itch. Uh, adult males, that's where you find it. Tinea corporis is on the body. This is the most common, well, this one, yeah, I guess overall most common. It can be anywhere on the skin. Uh, you get little scaly reddish rings uh, on the skin, which is where the name ringworm comes from. Uh, okay, they look like that. Uh, and so that's where the name comes from, ringworm. But they're not worms, they're, they're fungi. Okay? Um, and then, yeah? When you say uh, the babies of the scalp, are you talking about cradle cats? Like yeah, thing? very similar. It's not the same thing. I don't know. I'd have to check and see. I am guessing that it is. I do know that with infants, here in Virginia, it would be less of an issue, but if you're in a dry climate, they can have real problems with their scalp, especially if you walk bathing too often. You know, and that's, of course, everybody wants to bathe the kid all the time, but uh, in a dry climate, you just dry out the skin. It's a problem. Uh, I remember when our daughter was born in Colorado, pretty dry out in Colorado. Um, the doctor told, told my wife, do not, do not, whatever you do, do not bathe her every day. Be good. Okay, so this is on the body, a ringworm. You can also have it in the groin, it's called jock itch. This is mostly male athletes that uh, get this. Uh, again, moisture, humidity, sweating, contact in, in, the, uh, in the locker room, lots of different lots of people in there. Not, not difficult for it to be transmitted. And then you can get it on the foot. Tinea pettis, which is athlete's foot, or often referred to as jumbo rock, that's the same thing. Uh, and basically, you keep your feet in a warm, moist environment all the time, and you make nice conditions for uh, fungal growth. Okay. Uh, now, and it, it can get quite bad. This is one that's gone way beyond what it should have been allowed to. Uh, it can get fairly serious. Okay. Uh, and then you can get it on your hands. Uh, it says here that that's almost always with on the feet. Probably that's how you're getting it, by touching your feet, you get it on your hands. And then you can get them in the nails. Okay, this is a common thing, particularly in toenails. Uh, you get a thickening and distortion of the nails, uh, and then they grow in the, uh, the uh, ker keratinized. They, they feed on keratin. That's why they live there. That's where they live in all these places, there's keratin. <coughs> that's, what, that's what they like. Um, this is what it can look like in the nails, that's pretty far along. Uh, and this is what they look like. I mean, they're kind of cute little guys, I mean, they but they're, they're kind of a pain. Okay? And, and they're one of the most common fungal infections around. Uh, probably be pretty unusual to find somebody who's never had one of those at some point in their life. Okay. Yeah. How would you treat 
Well, that depends on who you talk to. You can buy expensive things. Uh, you can go to a doctor, they can give you uh, tablets that you take for like six, four or five months. Or um, I, uh, you, you can use uh, athlete's foot medication to put them on your toenails. And that, that does some good. Uh, my dermatologist says to take uh, a cloth, soak it in uh, vinegar, and then wrap it around your toes for a while. But that is acid. And I've also heard people doing the same thing, soaking their feet blisters, and it's probably a bit similar. The alcohol blisters. So yeah, it depends on whether you want to use a home like treatment or you want to use it. <laughs> hand the okay, now there's another one. This is only on the outside. It's called Malassezia furfur. Really strange name. It's called Tinea versicolor. And the reason is that the, you get these patches. There's really nothing to be seen there, but the patches of skin are a different color than the rest of the skin. And it's caused by this uh, particular organism. Uh, it's really not dangerous or anything like that. Okay, so cutaneous, uh, all of these are derm dermatophytes. There's about three different ones that are there. Uh, there are topicals that we use on them. None of these would be able to be taken internally. There are some internal uh, things you can take as well. Uh, and direct, indirect contact with the soil, their soil, probably soil organisms, uh, easy to come across. This one over here, um, antifungals, which you would use on that top. Okay, and lastly, we have the eyes. We're doing that, oh, that's good. Well, you know what the surface of the exposed part of the eye is. It's the conjunctiva, uh, primarily in the cornea. Uh, your defenses are tears, and your eyes are pretty much uh, not easily bothered by infections. Um, normal tear uh, mechanism, which you would have learned in, uh, in a and usually not very many organisms there. They're not generally something you're going to find. Uh, the few that are there are going to be the same as your normal fiber. Microbiota, but since you're washing them with tears and the tears contain lysozyme, they usually are not a very, very many uh, organisms that will colonize that area. Okay. Now, the major thing that people get is conjunctivitis. Pretty common in children. Uh, basically, the conjunctiva gets inflamed. It's uh, you get it's inflamed. It swells. You get a discharge, and the color will tell you whether it's bacterial or a viral infection. Uh, it's uh, fairly serious, or it can be if it's not treated. Uh, this is a, a kind of advanced case. Uh, it can affect your ability to see out of that eye. Okay, and so conjunctivitis. Uh, let's look at these two first. Bacterial, streptomyogenes, streptomonies, staph aureus, hemophilus influenza, any of these organisms can cause it. Okay. Uh, typical, uh, you use a broad spectrum antibiotic. Cipro usually is what's, what's given. Uh, if it's a viral one, of course, you obviously can't use antibiotics. Uh, uh, you just have to you know, uh, take care of it and let your immune system get rid of it. If antibiotics are put, it's not going to work. Now, there are also neonatal, in other words, newborns with conjunctivitis, usually one of those two organisms, either chlamydia or Neisseria, uh, so gonorrhea or chlamydia, uh, basically they get it from mom during the birth process, uh, and that's why uh, the prevention is you screen mothers, make sure they don't have these, and then you apply an antibiotic or, or silver nitrate is still used to the eyes right as soon as the, organ, as the uh, child is born, and in order to kill any organisms that might be there. Um, other, beyond that, it would be topical or oral antibiotics, depending. Okay. Okay. So this is generally seen only in, in infants. Okay. okay. So chlamydia is another is can also infect the eye of adults. Uh, it infects the epithelial cells. It is uh, in many parts of the world. It causes blindness because it's not treated. Um, you get a little conjunctival. Uh, discharge, inflammation, and then 
as you get more and more of a uh, immune response, it gets more and more difficult. You get if the upper eyelids get kind of heavily, which makes them very irritating to the cornea, uh, and eventually uh, you can end up like that. You can be you know, can cause blindness. This is not a problem in the United States or in most developed countries. It is in many third world countries. Okay, so chlamydia, trachomitis. Uh, there are antibiotics that work once you know that you have it. And then there's keratitis. This is a much like conjunctivitis, except that it goes deeper into the tissues of the cornea and can result in, uh, in actually destroying much of the cornea. Um, it's often caused by herpes simplex. Um, it's very painful, you're very sensitive to light, and again, uh, it, it, you would uh, normally treat it, there's a topical that you would use on it. Okay, so those can affect your vision, which is considered, your eyes are considered part of the, of the skin. One other uh, thing that you can get is river blindness. Again, this is one of the ones that Jimmy Carter's been working so hard on, or his foundation, trying to get rid of. Uh, okay, Uncocera cerca volvulus is uh, transmitted by black flies. Anybody who lived up uh, in New England where there's black flies? Well, then you don't know what you've missed, okay? Uh, black flies are worse than mosquitoes could ever hope to be. Uh, and they're found in many parts of the world. Uh, they uh, larvae live where there's a lot of running water. They need a lot of oxygen, so they, where there's clear running water, that's where the larvae are. Up in Maine every year, there's black fly season, which would last for about four or five weeks, and then they were pretty much done for that year. Uh, they, uh, they're not surgical like your uh, mosquitoes are. You, know, you can get a mosquito bite and not even know you've been bitten, depending on exactly how, where it hits you. Uh, these guys just, they just, uh, Little, their jaws are like little knives. They simply cut an opening in your skin and lap up the blood. And there's a particular problem up in Maine, uh, in that part of probably Vermont, New Hampshire, up in the northern country, uh, during a period of time of the year. Really nasty. Now, these don't generally carry this uh, parasite, but in uh, other parts of the world, this parasite, it's a worm, okay? It's, so it's a helminth. Uh, Generally, the black fly uh, 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 bites you, larvae enter. The larvae go into the subcutaneous tissues and then they produce uh, another stage, which we don't need to memorize the stages. And the next time another black fly gets a blood meal and ingests these, these penetrate the gut, migrate to the thoracic muscles, turn into a larval form migrate to the head and the proboscis, and then when you're bitten, they're injected into you along with their getting blood. And the problem with these are, I mean, that's the typical life cycle, so multiple hosts. But the problem is that they will cause blindness. Uh, yes? I've never heard of it causing death. It stays pretty much in the eyes. Uh, and actually, you can see the eye worms moving around in the, in the corn, around the corn. And there are parts of the world where this is very endemic, and, and that's one of the things Jimmy Carter has really devoted much of his foundation time to trying to eliminate it. It's, very, you know, it's not easy. Okay. Uh, a lot of people in parts of the world, uh, they, they make get their food by farming of some kind, agriculture of some kind, that means they're around water. Because without water, you don't get much agriculture, and so that makes them very susceptible. They're also really irritating. Just, uh, I, I, you know, sometimes I, I was out working in the garden, and I, you know, you're just busy, you're not paying any attention. Next thing I know, there's blood running down my arm from one of them where I did it. I mean, they, they bite that aggressively. Uh, and they're tiny things. And they're black, and some black flies. So, but they, in parts of the world, they carry this, this parasite. And that is the skin, okay? And that, we got through that in one night, that's good. Uh, so next week, uh, let me see what comes up next week, or on Wednesday, I should say. So on Wednesday, we will be 
looking at diseases of the nervous system. Okay, and we'll do these you know, night by night until we get through the moment. Okay. Any questions? Okay, I will see you on Wednesday.